and we were warned at the time that we received the uh, document uh, outlining this witness's testimony. We were warned that uh, the credibility of this statement was was not known. And yet, uh, people, uh, my colleagues, went out and, and talked to the public about how this was credible and how it was damning and how uh, it, it proved President Biden's, uh, at the time, Vice President Biden's uh, complicity in receiving bribes. Um, it appears to absolutely be false and to really undercut the, the nature of the charges. We've always been looking for a link between what Hunter Biden uh, received in terms of money and, and Joe Biden's activities or Joe Biden receiving money. Uh, this clearly is not a credible link at this point. So James Comer and Jim Jordan, they knew that this was not corroborated information, yet they still went public with it, talked about it on television, used it to fuel these investigations regardless? That's what it appears. Uh, it, I, I certainly didn't have any evidence um, outside the statement itself that it was credible. And as a prosecutor for 25 years, Caitlin, I never went to the public until I could prove the reliability of, of a statement. And even then, the only, pro, only public statement a prosecutor makes is the charging document. Um, let's see what the evidence is in this impeachment, if there is more evidence, uh, before going forward. You've been very skeptical uh, of this effort that was so clearly in the making, this impeachment inquiry. You still voted for the impeachment inquiry, though. Do you now that what's happened this week wish that you had not voted for that? No, uh, a big difference between voting for an impeachment and an impeachment inquiry. The, the inquiry was uh, really required because the White House uh, declined to provide documents that were uh, uh, requested, subpoenaed, uh, because they, they said that uh, there was no formal impeachment inquiry voted on by the House. Um, at that point, I thought there is no downside to voting for an impeachment inquiry. As long as the public knows and as long as my constituents know, I don't believe that the evidence is there uh, that warrants an impeachment at this point, but uh, certainly an inquiry allows the gathering of information. Let's gather information, but let's not draw conclusions before we have all the information. Well, now that the witnesses that Republicans have brought in have undercut their claims, the informant is indicted. James Biden today saying that, that his brother had nothing to do with his business dealings. Is it time for Republicans to drop this impeachment inquiry? I don't know. I don't know what all the evidence is, Caitlin, and I don't want to uh, judge the uh, evidence one way or the other until I have a chance to sit down with the investigators and go through the evidence. But this certainly undermines a lot. If the, if the impeachment inquiry was based on this witness, it undermines the credibility of this impeachment. I, I will say that it's suspicious that anybody would pay Hunter Biden as much money as they paid him. Uh, without any uh, expertise in the oil and gas industry, without any expertise in international banking. So those things are suspicious. But uh, again, there's no link directly to Vice President Biden's activities. So then why is there an impeachment inquiry? Because, I, I mean, the evi what evidence is it that you're waiting to see? Because what we've heard ha has all been basically undercut by this. I, I don't disagree with that, uh, Caitlin. I think that uh, what, what evidence I'm waiting to see in order to vote for an impeachment is that Joe Biden took actions based on payments that were made to Hunter Biden. I have not seen that yet, and I am still a, a no on an impeachment until I see that type of evidence. I guess my question is, is how do you continue an inquiry when the person that the inquiry was based on, which is this informant, that's the 1023 form that you're referencing, that they said they couldn't corroborate. We now know this person has been indicted for lying to the FBI. So how do you continue an investigation 
based on someone indicted for lying. Well, if there's other evidence besides this witness's testimony, if there's other evidence that uh, indicates could be bank records, could be a different witness that indicates that there is a connection, I think the inquiry is, is warranted. Um, certainly Hunter Biden's activities are uh, bring the Biden family uh, really integrity into question. I think it's fair to look at those things. I think the public uh, has a right to know exactly what this vice president did. Right now, I don't see illegal activity from this vice president, um, but, but you know, the inquiry itself is fair. The federal government and other governments, uh, state and local governments, uh, examine people all the time and conclude they don't have enough evidence to go forward uh, with charges. And, and that's, a, that's a conclusion that uh, the Republicans in the House are going to have to reach unless there is some but direct evidence that uh, Vice President Biden, I'm sorry, go ahead. You're on the House Judiciary Committee. Have you seen any evidence that justifies continuing it so far? This bit of investigation has been going on for a long oh. time. It's not new. It's not new, but, but Caitlin, I distinguish between moving forward with an inqu inquiry or an investigation and charging. Um, I absolutely think that an inquiry is fair. Looking at this situation is fair. Drawing the conclusion that Vice President Biden committed a crime, a uh, high crime or misdemeanor or an impeachable offense, um, I, don't, I don't draw that conclusion at this point. I think some people may look at this, though, and see even the handpicked witnesses by Republicans have undercut their claims. Here's what's happened here. And then they look ahead, you know, to what's happening March 1st. Uh, a budget bill is due that we haven't seen any progress on so far and say House Republicans are focusing on the wrong thing here. Well, I think certainly I voted against the Mayorkas impeachment. Um, I've, I've voted against some of the uh, actions that I believe were political and, and not uh, that, that really moved the ball forward in trying to help America at this point. I'm in favor of the Ukraine funding. It passed the Senate. I'm hoping it comes to the House floor. Uh, th those are things that I think we need to work on. And, and certainly spending is one of those. Keeping the government open is one of those things. Uh, one of those priorities. But uh, this this doesn't necessarily take away, this investigation doesn't necessarily take away from the resources that are necessary to pass those other very important bills. Uh, yeah, I just think there's a lot of questions about the, the foundation of it and its very existence. Congressman Kim Buck, we'll see what happens when Republicans are back in Washington. Thanks for your time tonight. Thank you. I want to talk more about this ex-FBI informant, though, the one that uh, the special counsel is now saying should be still in jail as he awaits trial but has been released, and this possible Russian intelligence operation that ha has clearly potentially made its way into Congress. We have the former CIA chief of Russia operations and also CNN's national security analyst, Steve Hall, here. And it's great to have you. Uh, Steve, I think some people may look at this and wonder, how did this happen? How do you go from having someone who was considered a prized source at the FBI, who has now been turned into an indicted former informant. Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions, you know, valid questions about that, Caitlin. I mean, I, it was interesting to hear that this guy has actually been, or actually was a, a confidential informant for the FBI for, for 10 years. Um, you know, having, having been in the human source business myself previously, not domestically, but overseas, uh, you know, human beings are, are sometimes difficult to get to the bottom of. But when you're talking about a reporting relationship, you would think that those types of things would be addressed and taken care of in the first months or, you know, maybe a year into the relationship. And this is a, apparently a 10-year relationship. So I'm sure people will be looking at that to try to find out how it was that somebody who ends up being a liar 
actually is reporting and providing information for, for that long of a period. Yeah, he was talking to his FBI handler on a daily basis, we're told. And, and Evan Perez has been reporting on this, and he says that the FBI had been suspicious of some of Smirnov's information as far back as 2020. But despite that, our reporting is there's no indication that he was polygraphed. Would it be typical for, uh, for that to happen for the FBI to be able to assess their sources? You know, and I can't speak directly for uh, for for FBI uh, MO on this, uh, mm -hmm. but you know the polygraph is is a is a is a useful tool in some circumstances, not all circumstances, and it, you've got to be really careful with it because it can it, it's it's a very in uh, inexact type of device. But that said, there's a whole bunch of other types of uh, testing, uh, corroborating uh, from other sources. There's all sorts of things that can be done in the background to try to find out more about uh, who these sources are. Of course. If the source is actually acting on behalf of the Russian intelligence services or any state intelligence service with their salt, it makes it a lot harder for people who are trying to find out where the lies are because you got professionals running this guy on the other side, which I think is probably what was happening in this case. So you believe he was basically a double agent? I believe the Russian intelligence services got a hold of this guy either or sent him in, you know, cold and had him, had him make, make contact with the FBI that way. But I, this, this has all the, all the hallmarks of a, of a Russia disinformation operation. They're very good at this kind of thing. And that, again, makes it a lot harder for those looking for that type of operation to find the deception immediately, at least. Well, and given the history, recent history at least, of sources who were once prized and then became you know, notorious and, and investigated, people like Christopher Steele, who I should note wasn't charged, if the FBI knew they couldn't corroborate his claims, why did it take until last summer to, to try to start unraveling them and to tell Congress, well, to tell the public, but also to tell Congress, given clearly these members, some of them had a propensity for pushing this stuff, even though they had been told, hey, this isn't corroborated information, but they're the ones who've been out there repeating it into oblivion, basically. Yeah, I think we're describing here, Caitlin, the, the sort of that line between uh, you know the professional, the, the collection of information and intelligence and, and you know, law enforcement type of activities, and then transitioning into the political handling of that information. Uh, I mean, sure, it, as we've been talking about, it's incumbent upon any organization that's running human sources to try to, to try to get to the bottom and find out the level of their veracity, and then report that information to the government, to the U.S. government, with the appropriate caveats, if that's appropriate. You know, you can report something and say, we're not sure that this guy is telling the truth or there's these other issues. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, but then when, you know, politicians get a hold of this stuff and say, well, to me, that's, you know, exactly what I want to hear, mm -hmm. then it becomes a political question. It's no longer a law enforcement or intelligence question.